Good morning. morning. Self-discipline is a hot topic these days. Uh, In Christian circles, in non-Christian circles, you can find shelves of books about living a disciplined life. And uh, some authors have had great success. Maybe you've heard of a psychologist named Jordan Peterson. Um, who has uh, written famously one book, several books, but one of his books called The Twelve Rules for Life. Uh, Now, I don't want to oversimplify Peterson's message, but um, for example, one thing Peterson suggests is just make your bed in the morning. Uh, You know, get your basic life details in order before maybe, before you try to tackle you know, the larger geo-economic political issues of the world today. Now, such advice, you know, seems like common sense, which isn't all that common these days. And there's even some biblical basis to that. If you're faithful with little, you may be entrusted with much. If you can't manage your own household, then you aren't fit to lead others. But... Just simply on its own, this is still self-discipline. It's you trying to discipline yourself at best. At worst, it's just more self-help gobbledygook out there in the noise. We need spirit discipline. We need a biblical framework. Now, we're continuing to walk through Psalm 23. Uh, Learning to lead like Jesus. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, everyone who heard his voice started humming the tune from the song that Sunday, Psalm 23, which said, the Lord is my shepherd. There's no coincidence there. His audience wouldn't have missed the connection. Jesus was making quite the declaration. He's saying, I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd who provides and guides and comforts and protects. John's taken us through Psalm 23 verse by verse up to this point. Just to review, to lead like Jesus is to be led like Jesus, to be led, to be satisfied, to have integrity, to stay the course. And the next couple weeks we're going to be concluding the series uh, to be courageous and to be hopeful. Today we're looking at Psalm 23, verse 4, the second part of it. It says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. To lead like Jesus is to accept discipline. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who disciplines. Now I recognize that not everyone's frame of reference for that word discipline is pleasant. As a matter of fact, as soon as I said discipline, I kind of felt everyone just going, Ugh. that other stuff sounds good. Perhaps you associate discipline with physical abuse or emotional manipulation or both. <clears throat> Our past experiences can distort sometimes things that are good and true and blur our vision to prevent us from seeing the beauty of authentic discipline. So please hear me 
And this advice really uh, applies to any realm in which we think of discipline, any context of discipline. So parents, teachers, pastors, employers, discipline is not about retribution, getting even, or payback. Discipline is not about shame. Discipline is not about inflicting pain. Discipline is not about breaking the will. Discipline is not about one person controlling another person for their gain or pleasure. And discipline is not about taking out your anger in the moment. See, those are distorted views of discipline, and maybe you thought of some examples or moments in your own life when you were on one end or the other of such discipline as I read that list. And I'm sorry if that's been your experience, but that's not the biblical discipline that brings about spiritual transformation, which I'm talking about today. I'm going to share a few symbols that represent this type of spiritually transformative discipline. And as I cover all of this, I, I, I encourage you to take some notes, either on paper or on a device. And this, this will be, I hope, very helpful and highly practical. So the first symbol I want to share from our text is the staff, the shepherd's staff. The shepherd's staff, it, it prods. And it steers. You can, you can kind of picture the shepherd uh, poking or correcting the sheep as they walk through a dark valley. It functions as an instrument of discipline by guiding the sheep through those dark valleys when they need that guidance the most. Right? In those dark valleys, the sheep can easily stray. The sheep can get off the path or even begin to doubt the shepherd's loving presence, right? In those dark valleys, we can be led astray or get off the path or even doubt the shepherd's presence. Now, you know what those dark valleys are. It's a major car accident. The doctor says the word, that word, cancer. I don't want to be married to you anymore. You're fired. The betrayal of a close friend. The rent or mortgage is past due again. The total loss of of a house fire or a flood. An investment has gone terribly wrong. A miscarriage. Or a friend who takes his life. These are just some of the dark valleys, the valleys of shadow and death that we go through. And I'm convinced that we're all either coming out of one, we're in one now, or we're about to go into one. And if you think you'll somehow slide by, I say this with all the tenderness I can muster, brace yourself. Dark valleys of life are a feature, not a bug, of this fallen human experience. You could say it's a fact of life. But the good news, 
The good news is that the good shepherd, he is at work in those dark valleys. So I just want to clarify a few things. How God works in the valleys of our lives. He's working for our general good. And I think it's important to keep these, these three things I'm going to share uh, to remember them. Uh, it's easy to remember them now, but when you're going through it, remember these things because it's easy to get off. It's easy to go astray. The good shepherd's working for our general good. You know, the dark valleys of our lives, they're not caused by a capricious God who just enjoys to see us, you know, uh, in pain. We sometimes can be tempted to think that. But we know that God is in his very nature love and loving. Romans 8.28, it assures us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The good shepherd is at work in our dark valleys for his glory. You know, dark valleys in life aren't karma, like we sometimes think of it, like a quid pro quo for all the sinful stuff we've done. God is now getting back at us. Now, of course, sin does have real-life consequences, yes? Sometimes very indirect, sometimes it's indirect, sometimes it's generational. We know this. But in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples, they come upon a man who was born blind. And his disciples ask him an interesting question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus tells them that neither of their sins caused his blindness, but it's so that God would be glorified through the man's life. And in his healing, God was indeed glorified the good shepherd also is at work in our lives in the dark valleys for our spiritual transformation the shepherd teaches us to trust him in the dark valleys with the use of his staff you know isn't it interesting that the shepherd he doesn't like whip out a flashlight and be like hey let's just hurry up and get out of here you know and and uh, like a a flight response no The shepherd's staff guides and protects the sheep through that valley. The shepherd is disciplining the sheep and reconditioning their fear into that of trust. David, the shepherd king, who was the author of Psalm 23, he had firsthand experience in this matter. So if you remember his sexual sin... Uh, with Bathsheba, then his plot to murder her husband Uriah in order to cover the whole thing up, which failed, and then the baby that came forth and then died. You can read that story in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. I highly recommend it. It's just two chapters and it's not that long, and it's a rather salty tale. Spoiler alert, David is terrible. But when confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan, David came clean and he wrote the song we know as Psalm 51. I'm just going to read some excerpts from Psalm 51 and listen for David's cry for help. Have mercy on me, God. 
because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. David yielded himself to the discipline of the shepherd's staff. And that can be your prayer when you pass through the dark valleys. It should be all of ours. David experienced one of the darkest moments in his life, and that's really saying something. And it was the shepherd's staff of discipline that guided him through the valley that led to the spiritual transformation he needed. <clears throat> I hesitate to share this next story, and I, I, I do so only with the greatest care and caution that we dare not attempt to overthink every situation, okay? Promise? Everybody raise your hand. I promise. Okay. Reading into every situation things that we shouldn't can be dangerous. I want to refer back to the three things I highlighted earlier, that God is working in our dark valleys for our general good, for his glory, and for our transformation. So all that said, and with your promise, not to, right? several years back, um, uh, I had a friend who was an elder in our church, and he was a younger man like I was. That wasn't a joke. I don't know why. But I got to tell you, he was a jerk. Um, he was hard-hearted. He was immature. He was uncompassionate. Everybody knew this about him. He and his wife were pregnant with their second child when we first met. A short time later, she delivered their baby. And he was born with severe medical issues that threatened his life. As you can imagine, the elder and his wife were brought low, walking through the valley of the darkest kind. I'm glad to say that the boy survived as a result of the medical treatment and the care he received and the answer to much prayer. And he's a healthy young man today. To God be the glory. What was interesting over the course of that whole episode was the drastic change that came about in my friend's demeanor. He was an observably much kinder, more compassionate human being. Another pastor on our staff commented at the time that the Lord had used that incident of their sick child to soften his heart. And I believe there's truth to that. He had come under the discipline of God the good shepherd going through that dark valley of life. Friends, 
sometimes it takes something just like that. And you know what I mean. We all visit dark valleys of life. The question is, will we accept the discipline of the staff to guide us through? Jesus also disciplines through the yoke. Not, not that kind of yoke. Yeah, that, kind, that kind of yoke. Sorry, I can't resist a good dad yoke. <laughs> I can say that again. Did you guys get that? Okay. Someone's going to come out with a shepherd's staff and pull me off. <laughs> I just gave someone a bad idea. The image of the oxen yoke uh, serves as a metaphor throughout all of Scripture. A yoke is an agricultural implement placed on two beasts of burden around their necks. It's intended to keep them working at the same pace so they don't get out of step, keep them going in the same direction, sharing the burden of the weight while also harnessing their combined strength and power for the work to be done. Now, the law of Moses was a yoke for the newly formed nation of Israel that tied them together in a covenant relationship with God. Over time, the Pharisees placed additional burdens on the Jewish people that made following the law needlessly oppressive, that made the yoke heavier. Then the Pharisees themselves did nothing to alleviate any of those added burdens. Heavier plus. And on top of that, they didn't submit themselves to those same burdens. Heavier to the max. Enter Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. It's a yoke of the Pharisees. And I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke, the yoke of Jesus, is easy and my burden is light. Following Jesus is light indeed because it's freedom from all oppression. But easy? Tell that to John the Baptist who literally lost his head for following Jesus. Tell the Christians that Matthew wrote his gospel to that were living under the harsh rule of Roman persecution that it's easy. Or tell that to the apostles, all but one of whom were martyred because they pledged their allegiance to Jesus. This is one of those texts in the Bible where the word just loses something in translation. There is no great translation for the word, and nearly every translation says easy. It's all a bit relative. Easy as compared to what? Easier maybe makes sense. Easier than the yoke of the Pharisees. The yoke of Jesus is an invitation to obedience, commitment, hardship, high cost. There is no easy button to following Jesus. Discipline is hard. So I think an even better translation is the word possible. 
were yoked together with Jesus. What was impossible before, bearing the oppressive weights all alone, is now possible because Jesus carries the weight yoked alongside with us. He is our yoke mate. This is what the discipline of the yoke of Jesus looked like for Paul. I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul submitted himself to physical discipline in order to remain above criticism. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Well, therefore... I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul submitted to suffering in order to learn reliance upon Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul submitted to discipline in order to identify with Christ in his suffering. My goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Paul even submitted to the discipline to the point of dying. Jesus invites us to come under this yoke. Now the Message Bible is the dynamic translation of the Bible. It, it renders the Matthew 11 passage, Jesus' invitation to come and to accept his yoke, this way. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. These rhythms are usually referred to as uh, spiritual disciplines. You've no doubt heard the term spiritual disciplines. Praying, fasting, memorizing scripture, worship, and others. We practice these disciplines as Christians because we strive to learn from Jesus by doing what Jesus himself did. We sometimes approach discipleship as a matter of stuffing more and more information into our brains. And faith is certainly about learning information. I mean, the right information, right? And there's lots of good information to be learned as followers of Jesus. But faith, allegiance to Jesus, is not only or even primarily about storing up more and more information. It's been said that Jesus didn't say, here's the truth, believe it. He said, I am the truth, follow me. The invitation is participation. Let me say that once again. Jesus didn't say, here's the truth, believe it. He said, I am the truth, follow me. 
The invitation to Jesus is participation in Jesus. We aren't just brains on a stick. I mean, some of you are. You're really, really smart, right? But as humans, we aren't just brains on a stick. We are whole beings. And training our minds, as Scripture instructs us to do, is not just about the intellect. I think we sometimes make that assumption. No, it's the will. It's our hearts. It's our actions. It's our virtues. And that kind of training requires practice. Doing anything of value requires practice. A football team trains to prepare for the big game. An orchestra rehearses to prepare for their concert. Anything you want to do, if it's worth doing at all, takes practice. Your spiritual life and faith are no different. Why? Because the time will come when you find yourself in the dark valley of the shadow of death. In that moment, you will undoubtedly do your best David impression by singing Psalm 51. Or maybe if you're a country music fan, Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. But you can also rest in and rely upon the discipline that you have practiced all the while. Like the football player, you're ready for the big game. Your disciplined life of prayer, fasting, memorized scripture, worship, they will guide you and comfort you in those times as you allow Jesus to help carry the burden. Some of you know this very well. Now, a preacher and dear friend of mine uh, several years ago developed a, a rare um, uh, and life-threatening form of throat cancer. It was devastating news for him, for his family, for his church. They began a long process of treatment and some surgeries and prayer. At his earliest opportunity that he had to speak to his church, he told them that he was choosing worship over worry. And he invited them to do the same. Some amazing things happened. The, somebody in the church uh, developed, created some t-shirts that said, worship over worry. People began to share their own stories online. Uh, the message had spread and inspired people to reflect upon that themselves, worship over worry. He knew that worrying wasn't going to change a thing, but resting in the discipline of worship would make all the difference in the world for him and for those closest to him. Thankfully, he's preaching and going as strong as ever, recovered from the cancer and the surgeries and all clear today, praise God. But even if the outcome had been different, he'd accepted the discipline of the yoke. When the dark valley came, he knew that Jesus was there to carry the burden with him. So what I'm saying is this, discipline now prepares you for the dark valleys yet to come. I'm not a farmer or an animal expert, but in spiritual terms, friends, this is true. Accepting the yoke prepares you to accept the staff. 
Jesus cried out in his darkest valley on the night of his betrayal in Galilee. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. His disciplined life prepared him for the dark valley of his greatest suffering. Now, discipline isn't just for navigating the tough times and getting us out of those pinches. It's also about spiritual transformation, walking in the Spirit, Christ-likeness. What this really comes down to is the process of partnering with the Holy Spirit and being transformed into the image of Christ. This is the symbol of the rabbi. In ancient Jewish tradition, disciples of a rabbi would literally sit at his feet and learn from him. And they would walk so so closely behind him that it's said that they would be covered in the dust coming off of the rabbi's robes. You can imagine the dirt that would be kicked up walking in those dirty and dusty roads in those days. There's a rabbinic blessing along these lines. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. There's a tour, uh, I know a fellow that went on recently, of the Holy Land, that it it takes you along the footsteps of Jesus' ministry. And as a memento of the tour, each person is given a glass jar that is filled with with the sand from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is the very sand that Jesus walked on 2,000 years ago. I think that's pretty cool. Members of our worship team, they're helping me out. They're going to hand out little jars of sand this morning if you want to take one. Now, this isn't sand from Galilee. It's sand from a holy land much closer, Menards. (laughs) But if you take one, let this sand serve as a reminder, perhaps a challenge to each of you as you see it. May you follow so closely to Jesus that you would be covered in the dust of his robe. Keep it somewhere you'll see it frequently, on your dresser, workbench, desk, dashboard. Serve as a reminder to accept the rabbi's discipline for your life. See, like lawyers who practice the law or or medical doctors who practice medicine, we are practitioners in the way of Jesus We're putting what we learn from him into practice. Why do we pray and fast and memorize scripture and worship? Because Jesus did. And there's other reasons as well, but if if that's the only reason, then it is enough. John the Baptist said that Christ must increase and I must decrease More and more and more and more and more of Jesus is so much better than any more of me. Following closely that Jesus means we open ourselves up, we accept the discipline of the rabbi to be like him, conformed to his image, covered in his dust. Are you willing to accept that discipline? After all, The watching world, and they are watching, needs to see Jesus in you. It's not enough for them to hear you talk about Jesus. They need to see him in you. Your life transformed into Christ's image is their invitation to Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.
The key row cross is an overlay of the Greek letters key, which is an X. It's our sound CH and rho, which looks like a P, but it's the R sound. Those are the first two letters of the Greek spelling the name of Christ. And it's a beautiful symbol of the shepherd's staff along with the nails of the crucifixion. The key row cross points us to Jesus, who's both shepherd and savior. Friends, when we gather at the table to remember Jesus, we are identifying with him in his suffering. We are accepting the discipline of the cross. As our Lord has told us, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. A cruciform life, that is the, the life that is shaped by the cross, is a life submitted to the discipline of his cross. So we celebrate this meal today. Let's take the bread. We celebrate by eating the bread. It's just a body which is given for us. Let's eat. And by drinking the cup, his blood poured out for our forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Good shepherd, we thank you for the gift of this meal, for the reminder to us of your love, your sacrifice, and your great victory. You have led us through many dark valleys, guiding and protecting us with your shepherd's staff. You have invited us to accept the discipline of your yoke, to do as you do alongside of you. May we follow so closely that the dust of your robe covers us, making us indistinguishable from ourselves. May our practices prepare us for those dark valleys, Lord, through which we will walk Though we're never alone, guided by a good shepherd. May you increase in our lives as we decrease. So that your will is done in us and not our own. For the sake of the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.